Oh man. They <laughs> <laughs> got how do I get rid of this fucking thing? <laughs> Happy birthday, Mom. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. It took me a little bit to put that together this afternoon. P Dog, this is your host, Brock <laughs> Fleming. Up, hey, we are live. I've started it oh. on the right channel at the right time. We're still missing uh, producer Mike and uh, Curtis Fact Checker in the background, but the dynamic duo is back. P Dog, <laughs> how you doing? How you been? Not bad, man. Not bad. It's been so hot the last couple of days. I've been biking to work and uh, uh, maybe not the smartest decision on my part. Uh, super hot. So if you're a runner, I would say a casual runner, even even a long distance runner who, uh, who who's out there three, four times a week, just be careful. And uh, here's a hydration tip. It's too late. If you have your first drink of water, like two minutes before you go running, it's too late. It takes about an hour to get hydrated. So if you're going to drink and stay hydrated, it's got to be an hour before at the, at the very least. Pro tip. Smart. I uh, yeah. was working out today at EPA with uh, Pat Woodcock there. And uh, mm-hmm. first time back in the gym for a couple of weeks. How'd it go? It was good. Actually, my, uh, my strength was up to a point. I felt uh, I was able to push myself pretty good. But he had the garage door open on the uh, the back end and yeah. uh yeah that there was no there was no airflow like it was hot you know it was one of those like you're just kind of i'm just dying Stifling. for a, a cool breath of fresh air kind of thing yeah yeah um, stifling yeah but i was sweating drenched it was fun yeah. you know it was good it was kind of back to, to old school and uh um, it was a good lift but it was very very hot you ever seen that espn 30 for 30 with marcus dupree yeah, uh, the greatest that he, never was, or something yeah, to that effect. He, he went to the USFL and blew out his knee, and he could have been a, a great NFL running back, but he you know, to, went where the money was, and then his, his uncle, quote-unquote, I don't even think it was his real uncle, stole all his money. And it was a really sad, sad story, but the redemption, you know, losing the weight in that hot, hot like trailer that he was working out in and then t- getting a sniff with Pretty the Rams. Pretty impressive, yeah. Pretty I mean, cool. He it was a great story. A phenomenal uh, documentary. Um one of my favorites. What's the coach that basically admitted to ruining his career? Was it uh, Switzer? Wasn't Switzer, it Switzer? Barry Switzer. Yeah. When he was at Oklahoma. Yeah. And yeah. he tried he said, I tried to be a hard ass. This guy came in, thought he was, you know, king the running backs and he was supposed to be all these things. And Switzer wanted to make sure that he kind of put him in place, you know, bring him down whatever. Mm-hmm. And he admits that hey, he didn't respond well to that. And because of it, you know, he lost his drive a little bit with Oklahoma and yep. you know, kind of put him on that sour path which i think is from a mental standpoint and and switzer admits to it that he kind of he kind of took the wrong approach with him yep I, I that's and you see that you probably that probably happens more often than not maybe maybe a bit more in the high school level i mean for every five or six really influential great high school coaches you've always got the one or two dummies who uh who live in the 70s right and yell and scream at kids and it's i mean in any sport right not just football but like in any sport you're gonna have 
And sometimes the school is just a matter of nobody wants to coach. This is all we got. We got to we got to go with this guy or girl or whatever. And it just it doesn't work out sometimes. And I've had the misfortune of having uh, a coach I didn't necessarily like. You just you know it's a part of the life process, right? You you just live it and yes sir, no sir, and that's it. And yeah, I mean, I speaking from personal experience, you know, I had yeah, a course. coach that I didn't like at Colgate. We didn't get along, and he was kind of, you know, I I'm just one of those guys that. Yeah, nice guy, whatever you want to call it. I didn't respond well to those uh, hard ass kind of coaches. It mm-hmm, was ones that, mm-hmm. you know, that I that uh, I don't know, not treating me with respect. That's not sort of the the right term, but you know, gave me compliments, and I was like, I want to play, and I want to keep doing better and better for those coaches. I'll do whatever it takes. But the ones mm-hmm. that you know were trying to be hard asses all the time, I didn't respond well to, and that's that was the situation I had at Colgate for me personally, and and because of that, you sort of lose a bit of your um, your drive. And again, right or wrong, you know, is it uh, am I not tough enough because I, I can't deal with it or whatever? It's just I was never. I was never yeah. exposed to it. I was never in the American no. way where it was, you know, be tougher, all that kind of stuff. It was always the other way. So I've learned to respond to what I was given as a child. And, and that's just sort of the way it was. Anyway, there's a balance for me. There's a balance between participation medals for every kid, which I don't believe in necessarily. Right. But also if we, if we are adjusting the way we teach kids in school by catering to their learning style, then why can't we do that in sports? Why does it have to be? Well, if this kid's not responding to me calling him a jerk or whatever, then why can't we coach the way the kid's going to respond pro- uh, positively? Like, it just doesn't, you know, like, if we, if we could do it in the schools, we should be able to do it on the field or on the basketball court. And, that's uh, education. I think coaching is, yeah. That's an education thing to coaches at those kind of yep. levels. And the coach may not be able to do that, you know. But that also separates the, the real good coaches and the ones who – are limited in the development of yep. their players is because you need to, especially in a f- sport like football, we talk about the diversity across all the team members of a football team and how big it is. You need mm-hmm. to be able to adjust accordingly and make sure that you can adjust to what the kid responds best to. And, you know, it's uh, I totally agree with you. It should be done. It should be something more of a focus. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it's not always the case. That's it. Uh, Want to give a shout out to my moms. I'm Lady Gaga, and I would like to wish you a happy birthday. I just went out and called Lady Gaga <laughs> to get a quick birthday wish from Marie. Uh, that's great. I'll uh, <laughs> next when I see my mom uh, next. I'll I'll definitely let, replay this, uh, okay. this episode. But anyway, she's turning seventy six today, and uh, you know it's been. It's been a long year with for uh, for my mom with the COVID and uh, being cooped up and like you know that picture I posted on our on my Facebook page today with us that was her reti- last day at work. I mean, two months later we're in COVID. Uh, not that one. It's not oh, that, that one. Nice. It's the only one I did because the other one I didn't want it to be just uh, us and and <laughs> her. So I want to make pretty- it a little bit better here. <laughs> Although it kind of looks like your head's photoshopped onto a smaller body. It does look like that. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was a better anyway. picture that would be well, fill you. the screen for. But there, anyway, there's one of, of us, you and I and Curtis, at, uh, on, at her last day at work before she retired. Then two months later, she's she's at home. So she went from, like, everything to nothing overnight. So anyway, it's been yeah. a tough year, but she's hanging in tough. And uh, uh, happy birthday, Mom. We love you. And you've got lots of fans, clearly. Uh, Big time. Facebook thing, so. Happy yeah. birthday. I Thank saved the you. bikini pics for 
Another one. Pep posted those. I didn't <laughs> bring those up. Hey, hello. Hey. I think Curtis has those. Oh, I'm sure he does. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry, Mom. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Moving okay. on. We got a show today that involves, yeah. we're going to talk CFL. We're going to talk a little bit of the Blue Jays, the National Football League, and a little bit of the NBA if we have time for it. <laughs> So stick around if you're waiting for one of those specific topics. Like it. All right. Uh, let's get right into it then. Unless yeah, you got something else. Let's go into the CFL opening weekend. Did you watch it? Uh, painfully, uh, yeah, I did. Um, I watched the Red Blacks and the Elks. <laughs> I like it. Their jersey's terrible. They didn't. It's, it's incomplete. But it's, the helmet's uh, nice. Yeah, it feels like they have like the Velcro like feelers that are on, and they said, "Oh, we're just going to take all these things off." Um, <laughs> Curse brought up a point, and we Googled it. Thankfully, that it, it is the case because he's like, "Why did they change the logo, like the helmet, to this you know weak looking elk thing?" When the whole point of being called the Elks was to, keep, to keep the, the double e, e to keep the double E. Now it is still part of their logo repertoire, I guess. But it's on um, their pants. Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. It's a, it's a, do you know how they have the, a lot of the teams have the logo just below their hip? belt buckle? Yeah, it's there. So they, okay. they kept that secondary logo. I like the, I like the, like, Milwaukee Bucks style thing they got going. It's a little, again, it, I didn't like it, the dance. One word. Wasn't there a dance that the <laughs> linemen the, the line were doing, like the bullwinkle? Anyway. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Yeah, we got to get that uh, sound That's bite. no good. That's no good. But otherwise, uh, uh, offensively, it was a disgusting. <laughs> display of offenses in that game. What do you attribute uh, that to? Uh, I attribute that to coaching right now. I think lack of emphasis on the offense. I think timing and stuff is obviously j- most of the time offenses take a little bit longer to click than defenses. That's just the way it is. And practices, all that kind of stuff, you'd have it, you know, your scrimmages, your your ones versus ones, and defense would generally be dominating that initially. Um, especially the beginning of the season. Maybe their offseason was just too short. There was no preseason, right? So without any preseason, you don't get the chance to work at a lot of those kinks. There's a ton mm-hmm. of new faces, right? Yeah. Guys are just – I mean, even uh, – so Kane, uh, Curtis's son, Kane, who's um, going to be dominant, I think, if he plays football a bit more. He's a big kid, and he's running the ball mm-hmm. and stuff very well. Uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess. But mm-hmm. one of their coaches, I can't remember his name, but he came out to CFI a couple of years ago. He plays for the BC Lions from Ottawa U and stuff, but he was out there. I said, what's he doing here? I guess, again, another guy, casualty of COVID, where he's just like, you know, I dropped 60 pounds. I got a real job. It's time to get on with my life kind of thing. <laughs> and that's sure. what I think we're seeing a lot of across the, the league. That and then also add some injuries and stuff. I just think it's a matter of uh, having enough time to come together, learn a playbook, be on the same page, um, and I think that's where we're seeing the product on the field is really subpar right now. Yeah, I uh, I can speak on I I did watch a little bit of that Red Blacks game and it was it was not good. It was the uh, uh, what was what was that DB for Abdul Kane? Is that the guy for? Uh, yeah, he was all over the place. It was his show. But uh, I watched uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders BC Lions game, which was really bizarre. Saskatchewan looked like they were they were just didn't miss a beat. You know, it was twenty eight to zip after the first quarter. The game finished 32-29, to 29. so they scored four points in the second half. BC came back, but BC's, it was weird. So 
they start the game with their backup and Mike Riley sitting on the on the bench with his uh, what wh- what is that? That's the Blue Jays score cup. So I have it going. The Blue Jay games are playing right now. So the Jays have just scored. Oh, they're playing a doubleheader. That's right. They're playing a doubleheader today. That's right. Um, so yes, yeah, Saskatchewan, uh, you know, came out blazing, and then Mike Riley didn't start the game, and nobody really knew the the commentators didn't know. They were making some comments about you know why isn't he in the game. He ended up coming in, into the second half, uh, but he couldn't throw like he couldn't throw past 15, 20 yards. The ball would just be a duck. So he couldn't throw a hurt. spiral. Yeah. Couldn't throw a spiral. Some, something was off. So, anyway, he was he's a warrior, though. He's he's one of my favorite qu- quarterbacks. He's also one of the highest paid, I believe, in the in the CFL. Yeah, I think he was getting um, like 700 grand. Yeah, so he's he's getting paid to do what he's doing. But uh, it was an entertaining game, but sloppy. Sloppy, and I think, you know, the lack of uh, preseason games, uh, lo- like a really live action that's not against your your team, you know, in in, uh, in pads and no, no pants or whatever. I really, I really felt like that had an effect on the quality of the CFL this opening weekend. So hopefully it gets a little bit better. I don't uh, think I caught any of the Argos Stampeders game. What was the score of that uh, bad boy? I don't know. Do we have Do our remember? fact checker? No, I can't remember. I didn't I even. It wasn't that, even yeah. worth it for me to watch it. It, w- it wasn't very entertaining. I watched a couple of snaps, and again, it was, uh, it was like sixteen to ten for for a long period of time in that game. And you know, the CFL, they promote lots of scoring, high offense, like lots of passing. When you're running a game that's 16 to 10, that tells me that there's a hell of a lot of punts. So, you know, anyway, all the other that to game say, too, the Hamilton game was a low scoring game too, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, it for sure was. So I think all in all, guys are getting their feel. Like you say, lots of retirements. I think we'll see a better quality game or stack of games this upcoming weekend. So hang in there. Hang in there, Red Blacks fans. I'm looking forward to actually going to a game. Well, that's what, that's what everybody's looking forward to is getting out, being around yeah. people, and then the product on the field. It has been secondary, but it's we've been pretty lucky with what's been on the field. I think this year might be a little bit a little bit tougher to go, but I, that may be across the league. Uh, I'm also, because uh, fact checker Curtis is not in and producer Mike, I'm not only producing, but I'm going to fact check it. And the Blue Bombers beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats 19-6 to again. Nothing super special there. And then the Toronto-Calgary game was 23-20 for the Argonauts. Argonauts came, oh, on the road. Big win. Lauren Goldenberg's going to be thrilled about that. He is going to be thrilled. So there was a, his team. Uh, 10 points in the fourth quarter to win that. A pass and touchdown and Thompson last it. second field goal. I thought it was Arbuckle that was going to play for them, but was, they've, uh, they're rolling with Bethel Thompson. McLeod Bethel Thompson. Uh, under center for the Toronto Argonauts. So, How many uh, last names can we get into one kid's name? <laughs> it's great, eh? Yeah. Anyway, should be a good stack of games this upcoming weekend. So uh, I'm just happy it's back, to be honest with you. We got uh, BC at Calgary, Toronto at Winnipeg, Montreal at the Edmonton Elks, and Hamilton at Saskatchewan. So the Red Blacks are on a bye next week. So why, why wouldn't... Ottawa take advantage of the opportunity if they're going to throw in a third jersey. Why wouldn't they make that red jersey uh, a little more pl- a little more plaid, like they have uh, the accents on the white jersey? It's an opportunity here that would have sold that would have sold like hotcakes. You know, they they came out with a jersey that they never even launched on the field and it sold out. So why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I I like the plaid idea. I like the lumberjack, the red blacks, the wood, cutting the wood when there's a touchdown. Like you've got a marketable entity there. And yeah. you blew it. And like you said, their, their reds look like the, the Calgary Stampeders. I couldn't tell them off the field who's who. No. Too, way too many similarities between them and Saskatch- and uh, Calgary for it to be even noticeable. 
Yeah. I, you're 100% right. The Lumberjack is a marketing uh, tool that they have created successfully. On. And I think yep. everybody's bought in. So yep. why not cater to that? It doesn't make any sense. Sure. I mean, the whole idea of, of being called the Red Blacks and, you know, the Voyageur was one of the names that was like one of the finalists is that we're in a we're in a part of the country where like logging was a, was a big thing. And I don't, I'm, I'm not a historian. I'm not even going to go there. But they had to, if you go into a cold game, a snowy game in, in uh, at Frank Claire or whatever it's called now, TD Place, half the half the crowd is wearing pl- red plaid like lumberjack stuff. You've got you've you've succeeded in marketing. Now you're failing to capitalize. As far the as first concerned. measure of success in marketing is not choosing that <laughs> other name, Voyageur. Le Voyageur. Le vo- imagine that. Ottawa Voyageur versus the Edmonton Elks. <laughs> I like the Elks. I, you know what? I, like I do too. It works it's for the, me. Apparently I feel like you have to emphasize the S because yeah. it's grammatically, I think, wrong, but they got permission to do it or there's whatever it works in that thing. But anyway. I don't hate it, man. I don't hate it. I don't. Uh, hey. But if uh, if you're a fan and you're watching the Edmonton Elks next time and they're wearing the green jersey, you'll notice it's a, there's a not- noticeable omission. There's nothing on the shoulders. It's just like it goes number on the chest and nothing except a couple of stripes on the sleeve. It, I, I don't think there's any other team in the in, football that has that at least they've got at least their number on the shoulder or at least a secondary logo or something uh there it looks incomplete it looks rushed they could have done a better job look i should i need to work in marketing for the cfl clearly all right moving on on I feel like if you worked for marketing, uh, all the hats would be like crooked on purpose. Like you couldn't get it to fit yeah. straight if you wanted to. Ooh, speaking of, shout out to Steve and Mega City Promotions. He sent me a picture. I don't have it. I should have uploaded it. They have. They make these leather patches now that okay. he's got a, a, a machine for. It. Anyway, he sent me this picture of a black hat. And it's got this almost like a a little bit diamondy, but not really logo with just the mic and the two stars in leather on this black hat. Anyway, it looks really good. Leather. So he's been screwing wow. around with that and uh, just something else that, uh, well, when I get it, I'll throw it on. And, and uh, right. he's working on our page so people can order stuff directly. But he's got a lot of Anytime. stuff he can do. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Anytime you've got leather, it's uh, the excitement level goes up like I think 5 to 10 decibels or whatever. It's just uh, leather. We're sponsored by the Adult Fun Superstore. No. <laughs> 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 we're, not, we're not quite there yet. No, uh, we are not. All right. Blue Jays. <laughs> the Blue Jays uh, returned to the Dome and uh, have been, I think they lost one game in, uh, in one. They went, uh, what, eight and one? Eight you know, and one because they, they the came Royals back and, against the, the Sox in that game. Oh, they lost, sorry. They must have lost two games. They lost one to the uh, Indians and one to the Sox. Right. Uh, they, but they swept the Royals. So, you know, uh, big. Series win against the Sox, you know, go, winning that series three to one. Had they left with a split, I think it would have left everybody with a bit of a oh, same old Jays. You know, they two couple of great games and a couple of stinkers. So we saw some positivity there. Uh, clearly, George Springer is making a huge difference. Uh, he's got 14 home runs and 30, 35 RBIs since the All Star break. So he's clearly uh, a difference maker. He's and making worth some every very good defensive plays. 
Yeah, multiple yeah, he's, defensive plays that have stood yeah. out that you know were Kevin Pilar-ish back in the day. Uh, so I do. I want to talk about the lineup a little bit. And uh, again, I'm I'm we're in a position where we could be a little nitpicky. We're not Charlie Montoya. Well, we're not. We're not. We don't have the a finger on the pulse of the team in the dugout. I get all that. But from uh, an outsider's perspective, Vladdy was rolling in the th- in the three spot. I mean, home runs, RBIs, big hits, not leaving anybody on base, taking advantage of every situation. And then he, Montoyo flip, flips him to number two and moves Bo down. And you have to wonder if he did that to get Bo going. I don't really know. Uh, maybe the, the lineup just needed a spark because they were kind of treading water there for uh, for a few games before they got to the Dome. It's worked out incredibly well for the team overall. Bo is playing outstanding baseball. Uh, defensively and offensively, he's on a tear. Um, it, Springer is your leadoff guy, no doubt. Simeon, I feel like you could put him anywhere and he's going to do his thing. I think Simeon's that wild card where it's like, look, he could play two, he could hit three, he could hit four, whatever you want him to do. But I think Vladdy... You you kind of messed up his groove by moving him up a spot when he was doing so well where he was. I, again, I'm being nitpicky. What are your thoughts on on a move like that where it's not a like a, a lineup breaking move, but it does affect it's affected him clearly. You know, you think moving up a spot or two spots or where you are in the lineup ultimately. They want to get him at bat more often. I get it. Is it the situation that he thrives on in terms of maybe having guys on base more often if he's down in the three or four spot? Is that what sort of gets him there? I I find it hard to believe that with his approach at the plate and his mindset of the game – that something like that, something that small would affect him to a point where he can't hit the ball. I think Mm -hmm. it's just naturally going to be, he's going to go through a slump. He's been so Mm -hmm. hot. There is no other way to go Mm -hmm. other than take a little bit of a, a a slump. And, and for him, hopefully the slump is, is extremely short, but he's been on such a tear. So, I mean, Oh, there you go. Like he, he's been on such a tear. I just, I don't think that, I look at Vladdy and I just don't think that he's a guy that, or at least my feeling is he's not a guy that gets affected by those little changes. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's pretty adaptable um, and is just going out there with the approach. He's smart enough at the plate. I think it's just, he just had a couple of off ones. Maybe, you know, again, yeah. after the Springer home run, oh, you're pretty jacked up and whatever you got the lead, you start maybe thinking, hey, it's already two outs. You know, you start thinking of the defense and let's make sure we come in and close this game off. And he, mm-hmm. I think he swung on three pitches or it was three straight strikes, I think, is what got him out. Anyway, it could be anything at that point, but I just don't think that he's affected by those minute changes. And, you know, it's new age baseball. Like, when I think about the teams of the past, your, your one-two guys are, you know, uh, high-contact guys with speed. And you want your one-two guys on base for your sluggers to, to, to knock them in. It doesn't have to be home run, but you know they're going to get the bat on the ball. And, you know, when you're hitting three and four, you don't necessarily have to turn on the burners right off the gate. You know, you could, you could, you've got guys in front of you who are running. If you get to first, second, you're, you're, you're happy. When you're hitting second, especially if your leadoff guy doesn't get on, suddenly 
there's pressure to do something, right? There's nobody on base, so I got to I got to get on base. I got to get a double. I got to get in scoring position. So that if it's a little bit of a different mindset as far as I'm concerned. And I don't know if that's Vladdy's thing. I don't know they, I don't know if Vladdy should have to be worrying about that. He's playing uh, all world first base right now. He was the slugger for the first 3 months of the season, you know? And now he's I think his mindset's changed a bit to where he's trying to hit oppo and you know and he's doing it. I mean, he's not, not that he's not doing it. Look, his slump is other players best year. So I mean, you know, I have to put it in perspective, but yeah. I don't know. I didn't like the move. I think Bo's better at second. Bo's going to hit. Bo's just a hitter. Bo's going to try and hit everything in sight no matter what. I think he's better suited for the two, even even Simeon. But, again, I'm being nitpicky. They had a great homestand, which leads me to my next question to you, the dome effect. I didn't realize just how much of an effect this plane on the road has had until, I think it was Buck and Tabby, or it might have been Dan Shulman say, they one of them mentioned that uh, – like most of the time when they were playing in Buffalo, they felt on the road, especially when the, Yan- the New York teams came to town. Half the crowd was cheering for the Yankees or, or Mets or yeah. uh, or the Red Sox even. So they felt like they've been on the road for basically a season and a half. Do you think that these guys are affected by the positivity in the crowd and the and the, the cheering behind them? Do you think it's had that much of an effect on them? A thousand percent. Uh, yeah? And I think it... That just shows within the the big opening day home ceremony and event that they kind of started the game off their first home game, and you can see the emotions from Charlie and with you know Bichette and all those guys. And um, yeah, it's a it's a I guess it's bigger than I had initially thought. So if you'd asked me this before they went back to Toronto, I would have said ah, a lot of them are young guys. They don't probably have homes in Toronto anyway. They might be out of hotels or a temporary location. So does it actually feel like home? I guess in terms of outside the the ballpark. But <clears throat> when you're playing and you feel that energy, and you watch games in different locations, great. There is a distinct sound to the Sky Dome when the crowd erupts. Mm-hmm, I find. Mm-hmm, I find it's very mm-hmm. distinct, and I think that the players are feeding off of that. Now, it's just going to um, magnify after you know they go through something like what Springer did in terms of the, the eighth and hitting that three-run shot and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. I think that's going to be huge for them as well. They just get the goosebumps, all the excitement, and it's been, uh, it's been phenomenal. Shout out to Christian Couture, who's watching us from Cleveland. The show is going global. I don't know why he's in Cleveland, though. Well, are you trying out for the Cavaliers there, Chris? Or what's going on, bud? Might as well. Tight end for the, for the uh, Cleveland for the, Browns? The Brownies. All right. Well, shout out to you, pal. Thanks for tuning in all the way across uh, the Ohio. Well, I don't know. There's a, there a few rivers. The, anyway. Yeah, a few. Hey, here's a, fun, here's a fun fact for you, Chris. The most polluted river in the entire world is in Cleveland. Did you know that? Of course. This this river is so polluted. Now, if you think of a river, you think of water. This river is so polluted, it caught fire in the 70s. <laughs> water caught fire in the 70s. I mean, I mean, only in Cleveland. Only in Cleveland. Only a Pittsburgh fan would know that. Yeah. Okay. Listen. Hey. <laughs> Dome effect for me, I, uh, what can I say? When you say about this, the, the city of Toronto and its players and the, the, the attachment to the community, all I could say is this. In, it must have been, well, it must have been Roy Halliday's second or third last year. It might have been 2007, 2008. I was at a fitness conference, and I, was, I had a class at 7 in the morning. I stepped out of the dome, which were, well, I was staying at the Renaissance, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I stepped out, go for breakfast, and who do I see running down the street? Roy Holiday, and he's huge, right? Like, bro, he's your he's your height for sure, if not taller. He's huge, um, imposing figure, but like jogging. He's jogging seven thirty in the morning. He's in his Blue Jays gear at the time. It was wasn't the blue and uh, white. It was like the black and whatever they was wearing. But he was oh, in his yeah. Blue Jays Horrible. gear, like yep. dry fit stuff. And I, I stopped and I gawked at him because I was like, and he and he kind of smirked at me. I'm like, hey, you're Roy Holiday, like <laughs> stupid, right? Like I don't even know him. And he said, yeah, uh, have yourself a great day, sir. And I'm like, you too. And it was cool. But he was connected with the city. It's 730 in the morning. He's feeling free enough to jog around. I don't know if there are too many American cities, <clears throat> Chicago, New York, where you're <laughs> going to get up 730 in the morning and run downtown as a millionaire. I mean, it's da- dangerous stuff. So that, to me, said it all about the connection to the community. And Roy always said Toronto was a great city to play and live in, and the people were great. So, uh, Well, I got to say, I mean, Toronto – has been a really good city to all these players. I think Canada has embraced them. Um, yep. You know, some of the cities aren't too bad. I know you talk New York and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I was in Boston for Toronto, Boston. We were down there with my dad, Curtis and Jules down there for it. And I had my Blue Jay and it was probably the old Roy Halliday style one, that like cursive one, super ugly. It was like five bucks or something like that, four XL <laughs> or something. Anyway, put it on, okay. got my Jay's hat. And, um, I was in McDonald's ordering food in line to, you know, stuff my face full of junk food. And somebody said, oh, <laughs> hey, are you a Blue Jay player? That's awesome. You know, they're very welcoming. And I said, yeah, I'm definitely a Blue Jay player. Could you give me a second <laughs> <laughs> to order my Big Mac combo half an hour before the game starts? Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to eat uh, 8,000 calories before I step out on the field yeah, there. Sorry. Game time's in what, 20 minutes? Yeah, okay, can we hurry up with my order? Thanks. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, back to the back on the field, Brock. They made some moves before the deadline. This is how long you and I have been on the air or haven't been on the air. They, the deadline came and went. There was a lot of speculation. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to give – Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro, an A+. And why? Because they picked up Jose Barrios from the Twins. You got a gift to get, right? They gave up Simeon Woods-Richardson, who's still... I mean, he hasn't even surpassed some of his peers yet. Same thing with Austin Martin, who looks like a nice player, but he hasn't even passed Groshans and Kevin Smith and some of these guys that are in the minors. So you gave up two really high-level prospects for an ace. And that ace is under team control for next year, too. So you've got a year and a half to really sell him on Toronto. Um, he's pitched really well. Uh, his two starts with Toronto already. They needed a right-handed starter to complement Ray and, and uh, Ryu. I mean, what a perfect addition. He's been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, all the guys are coming in with a renewed enthusiasm. I think the the nucleus of the Blue Jay team brings a lot of excitement to the locker room and are very welcoming to all other players. As soon as you kind of become part of that team, you're part of that family. And it really mm-hmm. kind of shows how quickly guys assimilate within the team, given they were only, they've only been there for a, a couple of weeks at this point. And they're already, you know, they're secret handshakes after home runs. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, looking like a team that's worked together in the outfield and, and on the infield um, you know, even the lineup for game four, I mean, you didn't have Bichette, Biggio, um, you know, they're 
staples on your infield. They don't you don't even have these guys in your lineup at that point against a team like the Red Sox. Game four again, you're either splitting or you're taking a three one, which is a big difference when it comes to standings. So the, Charlie has confidence of playing all these guys. Dickerson, I thought played awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Reese McGuire behind the plate, I thought played awesome this series mm-hmm. and is starting to sort of come to his own defensively. He had one of those innings that I was just like. That's phenomenal. Like his yep. his baseball IQ was there when he dove to keep that foul ball from turning back into uh, fair territory. Stuff like that. That it's just it was nice to see a catcher make a positive impact over and over within a game, not just a one play thing, but actually somebody who seems to be uh, maybe poised to take that spot, that starting hey. role, and say this is this is our guy because he came through a, a clutch walk. That's a, not an easy ball to stay off of, too, for ball four that led to the Springer home run. So, yep. you know, maybe he's getting that confidence up, too. Yep, none of those guys, none of those catchers have stepped up to the plate, to no, uh, no pun intended, to, uh, to seize the opportunity. They haven't. He's really the only one that's come in and said, okay, you know what, there's an opportunity here. I'll focus on my catching. I'm, he's catching good games. He's calling good games. And uh, his bats, he's doing just enough with his bat to say, you know what? How do you not put him in the lineup unless it's a lefty? Uh, they're, unless they're facing a lefty, Alejandro Kirk has shown me nothing. I was uh, really excited about him this year. He's really shown me zero, and he's he's unfit, mm-hmm. literally. And Danny Jansen can't stay healthy. So I liked I liked the platoon of McGuire and Jansen because it's a righty lefty, and they both of these guys have a little bit of size behind the plate. Uh, they catch a good game. Alejandro Kirk's got to lose this catching off one knee stuff. Like it doesn't work. Uh, you, you one bad pitch, one pitch in the dirt, and you're you're out of position. So that's across the league. You guys are doing yeah. that all over the place, which I don't well, understand. But they're trying to save themselves. I mean, it's a hard it's a hard position to be, and that's you know it takes a little bit of stress off your body. But it doesn't work for me. Uh, Alejandro Kirk is is definitely falling down the uh, the uh, pecking order there. I think. Um, you know, the, the MLB is funny like that. You know, they have their trade deadline and the deadline passes. And then all of a sudden you start seeing some some other quote-unquote trades happen. And I never really understood what it is. But we could see the Jays make a play for an available player after the trade deadline is gone. And I please don't ask me what, what it is that they actually, the MLB does. But the, I think it's that one sport where after the deadline goes, you still see some transactions happening. Do you, do you have any info on that? Do you have... You know what I'm talking about, though? I do know what you're talking about now that you say it. But, uh, yeah, it's not a hard deadline. Uh, so I'm I don't know if not. that yeah, – I don't know. Honestly, I'm not sure. I'd have to look I mean, I could, I could see that well, they addressed everything we talked about in the offseason. Left-handed power bat, Dickerson's hit, Dickerson is that guy. He's better than Joe Panic. Like, flat yeah. out, he's better than Joe Panic. The fact that they got him and Adam Simber, who leads the majors in ERA – in, from the bullpen for Joe Panic, and I think there was a cash cash considerations and maybe a, another minor league player. I mean, that's a that, that in itself was a great deal. Plus, they picked up Trevor Richards, Brad Hand, who was uh, Washington's closer, Joaquin Soria, who's a little bit older, but he's got some experience. He kind of comes in like Grilly did that one year, um, got some experience stepping in on those high leverage situations. I mean, but for me, the picking up Barrios just it it, it, it makes your Rotation almost perfect. R- Ryu, Barrios, Ray, Manoa. I don't care who you put in the fi- in the five spot. You could put Mats. They, they can have a six man rotation with Mats and Stripling. That's fine. But your top four are are the best in the a- in the AL or at least top five. 
I, you couldn't find me a better rotation. So just on that acquisition alone, I give them an A+. Plus, an incredible job picking him up. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, you got to give to get. I mean, you got to give to get. And Austin Martin could, out, could turn out to be a great player. It could turn out to be, you know, another Bo Bichette. Or not. We don't know. It's such a crapshoot with MLB uh, um, when it comes to their prospects. So I'm really happy with that. Do you have any area concerns that, that still bother you with the Jays? The outside of, I'm, I'm not sure, but catcher, you seem to be happy with Reese McGuire. But, like, generally with, their, with their, play, their play overall defensively and offensively, is there anything that still concerns you? Uh, Guriel still concerns me in the field a little bit. Um, I saw him make a one play there where he kind of lacks, lacks a days ago. Yeah. Back in I think he was trying to about. bait the guy to go home yeah. so that he can use his arm to get him. Yeah. Um, which again, he makes the play. I think, okay, that's a great play. You're a stud. You don't make the play or the, the, the throws offline, which I've always said, yes, they're professionals, but you got to be mm-hmm. so bang, bang and right on and force the play. So from mm-hmm. a base running standpoint and uh, an aggressiveness standpoint, I thought the Jays, I think the Jays are doing a lot better from a coaching perspective of saying, you know, let's steal them. So you got Vladdy stealing, you got Bichette stealing, you have guys mm-hmm. that are Simeon's going. Like they're pushing the envelope a little bit. Now it might have been a situational thing given the, the, I think the Red Sox pitcher has a bit of a slow delivery home, but that's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff I wanted to see. And they were down at that point. So I saw it in the game one where they were just rolling and they're just like, hey, let's just, we're just running home and we're going to continue to run home. We put up like 16 points. But in a game where they were down a certain amount of runs, they were being a bit more aggressive, which is the thing that I've knocked them on for the longest time, where Mm -hmm. you need to push the envelope and make that team defend against us as opposed to conceding and, and assuming that the professionals are going to make all these plays all the time. You got to push the envelope. And I think that's where they're starting to get a little bit better at. I think the speed is there from a base running. So I'm happy with that. I think defensively overall, I think they're pretty good. They're pretty set. Vladdy's phenomenal at first. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there was any question marks before he's made some wicked plays. His glove mm-hmm. is very good. He catches the ones off the, off the turf. Uh, Springer in center solidifies that outfield. I think Guriel's the the biggest question mark for me from a defensive standpoint. Um, other than catcher, hopefully Reese can sort of solidify his He's position catching a good there. Game. He's catching a great game. Yeah, and I think I give him that that relationship with his pitchers and all that is going to be mm-hmm. um, what we need moving forward. So provided everybody stays healthy and our pitching can kind of reuse outing didn't look that great, um, but that's just par for the course you're going to have pitchers go through those sort of slumps but ultimately the Jays I'm excited for the rest of the season and see where they mm-hmm. go because I think that exactly what you said I think they get kudos for all the moves they made and I think now everybody's kind of excited for uh, the next it's almost like a refreshment for them to be at home and to uh, start the second half of the season and say hey we're still in it and let's go yeah, no and doubt. the excitement's there so uh, Canada should be pretty excited for the next uh, second half of this season. Yeah, no doubt about it. And for me, they're, like, everything you mentioned is just bang on. I'd say, you know, they're still getting caught. They're getting picked off way too much. Um, you know, and I guess it's it's an aggression thing, right? You want a big lead off. And so the, I find themselves getting, like, and they're big pickoffs with nobody out, you know, when you're at second. Like, it, it's stupid. And, you know, the the throw that you're referring to with Guriel and trying to bait the guy, like, this, this isn't the minors. It's not going to work. You got to... You play the percentages, get the ball in, don't let the runners advance. And that's, that, to me, if the Jays do that, they have enough offense to overcome anything. But if they start giving up runs because they're stup- being stupid, basically, 
yeah. um, then it's going to cost them. And they, they can't afford it. The AL East is and always will be and was. Like, it's, 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 um, it's so challenging to compete in the AL East. <laughs> it just is. You hope the Rays take a step back one day so you only have two teams to leapfrog. But with the Rays being consistently good for the last decade, you're leapfrogging three teams just to be competitive. And that's not to say the Orioles, who have a really great minor league system right now, aren't going to come back and be relevant next year. So the Jays need to seize the opportunity as far as I'm concerned. Take, take advantage of what they've done, what they've got going, and, uh, and roll with it. And Charlie's got to get the boys you know, a little, little tighter on the bases. Enough with the pickoffs. I mean, I, it's it's it. That is just inexcusable. No, as a former baseball player, is not not the worst thing to get picked off. It is, but you, some of those stealing is one thing. But picked off, come some on. Some of those were. I mean, the the second baseman wasn't even near the base initially, so you're kind of playing that aggressive. Hey, any mm. hit, I'm going to go, and then he makes that again that move without anybody on base, which is you know kind of a a sketchy move because you don't have to throw it to second either. So you have that move. It's kind of a dirty one for base runners. If he's at first yeah. and he, you know, makes it move to first, you got to throw it to first, same with third, but second, you don't yeah. anyway. So I think he's just kind of, and it was, uh, it was Dickerson, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, but. you're a guy, you're new, you, you know, you're on base, you had a good hit, you brought some guys in, you, you, I don't know. Sometimes I think you can get a little, a little excited and it, you know, you talk sure. about the dome and all the fans, all that kind of stuff. Look, I just attribute to some excitement. Those are things that you address and you say, you know what, for future, let's make sure we're on the same page and, uh, and not let it happen in a game that's uh, got a lot more meaning and a lot more pressure than the one that they were in. Well, I'm looking forward to this, the, I guess the last quarter of this season and we'll see what, uh, what kind of damage the Jays can do in the AL East and in the wild card. I think they're only a couple of games out of the wild card now, so... It's a, it's a hot race, so looking forward to seeing what happens. Um, it's time to talk a little pigskin bee, a little NF. Sorry, that was a little premature. <laughs> hey, quick, quick trigger there, buddy. <laughs> uh, the NFL Hall of Fame game was last uh, weekend, and we had the Pittsburgh Steelers defeating the uh, Dallas Cowboys sixteen to three. It doesn't mean anything, but you you know you you had a chance to have a look at some guys. Najee Harris got some run in the first quarter. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I think, has supplanted Mason Rudolph as the backup in Pittsburgh, and that's a big deal when you're when you're starting quarterbacks thirty nine and injury prone. Um, it's a big deal for a team like Pittsburgh to have a comp, you know, a competent backup. So, uh, you know, Haskins is big. He was rolling out. I was kind of impressed with Matt Canada's, uh, offense. A lot of, there's a lot of movement. I'm sure they didn't, they barely threw anything at Dallas, but I mean, it was, it was, it's interesting. Definitely different than, uh, Randy Feekner's offense, uh, on Dallas' side, that guy, that kid, Micah Parsons was all over the field. He's going to be a beast. He is going to be a beast. Uh, Dallas has got something special there. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, again, it meant nothing. It's just fun to see football back on the field. I will say this, though. Uh, the Hall of Fame speeches, Brock, I don't know if you saw any of them. Wow. Um, the ones I saw were, for the first time in, in watching these speeches for years, they were just seemed so scripted. And I know they're pressed for time. Um, they had They put an emphasis on guys not taking too long because they had to condense the 2020 and 2021 classes in one weekend. So 
they were pressed for time, I guess. I don't know. But the guys just, they just went right from like my childhood, you know, bless my, bless my parents. Love you. My love my teammates. Bless God. It's, he's the reason why I'm here. Goodbye. And every, every guy went that route. And I, um, for me, it's an opportunity to tell some stories or a story or two, like a fun story about players, like, like kind of like on a podcast, but like, it's your opportunity to really like go out with a bang. And, these guys went out biblical. It was really bizarre, except for except for Charles Woodson. I loved his speech. Not because he was crying the whole time, but because he was passionate and he was like shooting from the heart. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Some little tidbits in the background too of stories that we wouldn't know the story, but he was talking about buddies and stuff and yeah. scraps and things they go through and tattoos and all that kind of stuff. It's uh it was interesting. Like Bill Cower. Didn't mention. I think he. I don't even think he mentioned a single player or a coach. He just kind of. It was all generic. My players, my coaches, my 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 colleagues. It's like name somebody. He doesn't Give know the name. names. Mention Chuck Noll. You supplanted arguably the greatest coach of all time. Uh, you don't bring him up. Like I it don't. It just seems so bizarre. I. It was so bizarre. You can and, kiss and again, Cordell Stewart on the on the sidelines, but you can't bring up when the, his name in a Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> Coach, Come on, coach, what are you doing? <laughs> Please don't put Cordell Stewart and Chuck Noll in the same breath. God, hey, Steelers, Steelers, all in the same breath. I'll, all oh, anyway, I, what can I say? It was. It's fun to see these guys. Alan Fanica, who a guy I think you can really uh, respect because he was a big, big, big man playing football, and then once he retired, he he shed a ton of weight. A ton. He's a mar- he's a long distance marathon runner. He's a half the man he was. Um, really, really cool to see him talk and talk about his journey after football. And um, did you watch Calvin Johnson's speech? No, the only one I've seen is some of Charles Woodson's right now. But I want to see Johnson's- Calvin Johnson. I want to see the uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, I won't tell you exactly everything he said, but basically he started off saying, "I played my whole career in pain, and um, it's a miracle I lasted as long as I did." So it kind of put. If nobody knew his story, I didn't know. I didn't. I had no idea he he had a, a back pain so debilitating is after his first year that it, he should have retired. I guess he filled his body up with so much. Now he's a, a, a catalyst, a leader for med- medicinal marijuana, that kind of thing, to deal with pain. So I had no idea. That was the one thing I learned from his speech. But pretty interesting stuff. Can you relate playing football for as long as you did to? what it could potentially do to a guy and, and chronic pain and back pain and all the little nagging injuries that these guys live their, their second half of their lives with. Uh, I mean, I'm facing with some of it now. I was very fortunate in terms of injuries. I think, you know, mine were a bit more head related. So um, that was something I deal with sort of on a daily basis, you know, not very severe at this point, but um, you know, every time you get headaches and stuff, you wonder what it's from, what's causing it, that kind of uh, things. But I've, I've been pretty fortunate uh, from an injury standpoint of being able to walk away from the game fairly healthy. Most of my injuries came from playing, uh, you know, men's league sports after football mm-hmm. where I'm not warming up nearly enough and not training sure. for anything. And, um, you know, but going out there and, and trying to play at the abilities to the level that I'm used to playing and the competitive level I'm used to playing without mm-hmm. all the prep work. So those are when I got kind of got in trouble. When you talk Megatron real quick, I'm going to ask you something. Is he the best receiver ever who never had 
really a, a, a great quarterback. Like when you think of all the other receivers, can you be a great receiver without a great quarterback throwing you the ball? Megatron's the mm. only guy I can think of who didn't have potentially a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback at some point in his career throwing him the ball. Well, it depends how you rank Matt Stafford. I mean, it depends where you put him on the in the class. I, you know, I'm I'm okay. probably the minority. I'm not a huge Stafford guy. I think he's got some uh, quirks. Like he he's able to throw sidearm in different angles. He's got a little Brett Favre in him, a little gunslinger. I like Matt Stafford. Yeah, but is he elite? I, I, we'll know if he's elite this year. Exactly. As far as I'm concerned, say, we'll know who this kid is. Is it the Detroit curse or is it the kid just not? There not are no excuses moving forward yep. from there. Before yeah, it's they got Detroit. a good old line there. They got yep. a good running game. They got some good receivers. We'll see what kind of guy Matt Creative, is now. offensive mind yep. at the helm. Yeah, he's so we'll see. So to answer your question, what he did under those circumstances. Uh, and again, now hearing his speech and knowing what he did under the, all that pain, I mean, I have a whole new respect for him. He didn't play long enough for me to put him super duper elite. But then again, you could say the same thing about Barry Sanders. So I don't know. I mean, I look like I look at a guy like Heinz Ward who, yeah, he caught 100 balls every year, but he knocked guys out every running play. He was he was like a tight end. I, I would have I'd like to see more receivers have a bit more complete game. And Megatron's up there with Larry Fitzgerald, as far as I'm concerned, as, as greatest receivers. Um, some of the catches he's made, oh, my God, like the leaping catches in traffic. It feels like every highlight you see of Calvin Johnson is not like a post play. It's on three or four guys. So um, amazing career. Um, I think you need an elite quarterback to be um, to play for as long as Jerry Rice played. Right. So, I mean, at some point, Calvin's going to be like, look, this isn't, uh, I'm going to retire. Uh, and he wanted to trade. I think the option was get me out of here or I'm going to retire. And he chose retirement. So what does that tell you about how we felt about the, the, the organization and the quarterback that he had? If well, he played five, six more years, my God, what would he have done? There's already, I mean, there's bad blood between uh, the Lions organization or I guess Megatron with the Lions organization. So, um you know, I can't remember exactly all the backstory, but there is there's no love lost between him and the organization. So I think it came down to one of those I'm not playing here anymore. But I mean, he was probably the first real big body. Like Moss is long, tall, but Calvin had some substance to him. Like he was a big, muscular man playing wide receiver. Was like Calvin more like Terrell Owens? You think? I would say he's in that boat. The, yeah. the big Julio Jones. Yeah. Those receivers are like, they're, they're not, they're rare. They're hard to find. I think, you know what, as I, as I get older, I never liked Terrell Owens attitude, period. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's nothing anyone can say to say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Terrell Owens has to be one of the, the, the freakiest players though. Speed, size, decent hands. Um, like I'm going to say, when I say size, I mean, this guy was muscle. Right. Muscle to be able to to stretch and run and not rip every muscle off the tendon or off the bone. Sorry, um, at that size is remarkable stuff. And he was healthy. I mean, he took a beating, right? So Megatron is up there for me with when it comes to that. I find those guys remarkable. Those those unicorns, man. Those guys that are like you're taking a beating, you're getting up and you're doing it again week after week. Yeah. So he he's up there for me. But anyway, that was the Hall of Fame for me. It was uh, it was a. a, a, a collection of awkward <laughs> speeches and 
I was I really expected more, but anyway, it was it was good. It's always I always get goosebumps watching uh, some of the guys I used to watch growing up. There's uh, you talk about Charles Woodson and his his speech, uh, his time in Green Bay. So uh, for those who don't know, you know my roommate at Colgate, Ben. Uh, his cousin's TJ Lang, so I got to know TJ when he was a young kid. But TJ and Ben's brother Josh were really close, and Josh moved to Green Bay. Still lives there today, actually. Um, <clears throat> but Josh would go to the games with TJ all the time, and uh, you know, be in the box, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Josh would wear this Charles Woodson Green Bay jersey, and after Woodson had left and gone back to uh, the Raiders, uh, they were in the player parking lot, you know, going to TJ's truck or whatever, and. Uh, haha Clinton Dix had walked out saw Josh wearing the 21 which was now his number and uh, then he noticed that it had Woodson on the back and you know <clears throat> he says something like hey Zig you got the wrong name on the back of the jersey or whatever and Josh had a few drinks and he's you know pretty quick on his feet and he turned back and he says make the pro bowl and then we'll talk and then Dix just like zipped it <laughs> and walked away josh turner was like whoops i didn't think that was like i was thinking it i didn't think i was going to say it but it came out and uh anyway needs to say woodson's been on his jersey That's ever awesome. since but uh okay so hey, listen you have a rant not quite yet i, I don't want to i want to ask you about what the heck's going on in uh, in new york oh. Uh, four Giants players retired <laughs> this week. And it, we talked about the COVID retirement. This not because of COVID. No. And it, there's a lot of chatter going on about Coach Joe Judge. Yeah. That's just a ridiculous name. <laughs> it's like, I feel like he should have a show. Um, about I guess it's about all about his ego. And, you know, there's this, they had, was that, that was their team that had a massive brawl, was it not? Yeah. So uh, is it Corey Clement that, was their running back? Kind of got took a, hit at the end of a at the end of one of the plays. You can see they only have uppers on, and I don't know if it's supposed to be thud or what it was, but he took a hit, uh, went down, and then that started a, a huge kerfuffle with all the players. I heard Jones was involved and underneath he the was pile at the bottom too. of the pile. Yeah, which uh, he so should he be was used a, to. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess I guess uh, the coach was so upset, which I mean, whatever, uh, that he gassed them. Like he okay. You know, and hundred yard sprints and push ups. These are grown men, you know, in dead heat of the summer. I don't know if that stuff works anymore, man. You know, Mike Four Tomlin guys retired. Mike Tomlin's first year with Pittsburgh, I'll just a really short story. He uh, he pulled that trick on them, right? He, he's trying to make his mark, you know, he's replacing Bill Cower and He's, uh, he came in gangbusters with a veteran team. Like, a really, they got Palomalu, they got Harrison, they got a team that just came, just won the Super Bowl a year and a half ago, two years ago. And he came in and did the hard line stuff. And it worked at the beginning. They, I think they went, like, 7-2, and 8-2, and two, and then they ran out of gas. Like, they by the playoffs, they folded, and they lost to Jacksonville in the first round of the wild card. And uh, he knew his mistake. He's like, I, I worked them too hard. I pushed them too hard. These are grown-ass men. Um you know, and he learned from that. And, it, you know, since then, I think it's been a, a good relationship with his players. This guy, Joe Judge, I mean, you got to learn, for, learn, try to learn from your coach's past. Like, you can't be doing that stuff. You might be upset. You know what? Send the guys home. Send the guys home. Um, there's other ways to do it than just uh, gas them. Like, what are you doing? You don't gas pro players, man. It's, it's a tough – It's 
I can't remember where Joe Judge comes from. Does he come from a college background or something? Anyway, you're trying to send part of the Belichick tree. Mm, I I wish we had our fact checker. I know. Where is he? Oh, he's at his son's football practice. Come on, Curtis, get your come on, Curdy boy. Um, No, I think uh, yeah, that's a tough thing to do to gas grown men. Um, Obviously, we held guys that were on sort of the. Uh, the fence as to what they were going to be doing. If they're trying to give us another shot, see what they have or whatever, you start getting yeah. these things and they're like, I'm out. Like, I just don't, my body's just not made for this anymore. That mm-hmm. being said, I, I hear that the morale around the locker room and stuff like that is better. Um, you know, I don't think this is going to be a normal thing for him to do. If it is, then you're going to be in the same situation where just guys are just going to get burnt and they're not going to like perform to the best of their abilities. I think if this is a one-off, sort of send a message, maybe it does bring them closer. You know, all those he sort of weeded out some of the week and say, you know, if you can't even handle that, then we're not going to to war together. Who knows? It's a it's a tactic that yeah. you don't see a lot in the NFL. No. Let's see if it works. Ultimately, we're going to see on, you know, week one, if the Giants come out and they're playing well and they win, then nobody cares how you did it. Nobody cares about yeah. the sprints. As long as you win, nobody cares. That sort of is the cure for all. So let's just see what happens. If not, then it's going to be a big spotlight on the way he handled that situation. And, you know, anybody who had something negative to say at that point will be substantiated. You know, I wanted to talk about Michael Thomas and what he's uh, what he's doing with the Saints on Twitter and, you know, saying that they're trying to ruin his reputation. And, you know, this I don't even know what he nobody really knows what he's talking about. Uh, is it a, in, in a in a minute or less? Is it a situation where he's trying to get himself out of town uh, because they've lost their quarterback and he doesn't know who's going to be throwing the ball to him? And, you know, he's, he's got a lot of football left. Maybe he wants to go somewhere where he's going to catch 100 balls and make another big contract. Like what's what what's in it for him to be doing this with the Saints in a minute or less? Uh, would you blame him? <laughs> <laughs> you're locked. Big fan of Jameis Winston, are you? Jameis Winston and uh, my Tyson one of my Hill. most hated players to watch. Like, yeah, I yeah. do. You blame him. Do whatever you got to do, bud. It's it's it, is it me though? Or is, it, is it clear as day that that's what he's trying to do? It's there's no end in sight for the Saints yeah. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Interesting. And you know, it's too bad because the Saints the roll out Alvin Kamara and they roll out a pretty decent offensive line. It's not like they're going to be awful, um, but clearly he wants out. That's my take on him. I, you know, well, I a good offensive agree. line, a good running back. That's those are uh, ingredients for a great running game. Well, Michael Thomas is a receiver. So (laughs) the New York Giants judge is running all his guys, gassing his guys. Thomas is going to do that during the game. They're going to see you go down the field, take double coverage down. That's two less guys we've got to block from a running standpoint. Yeah. Good luck. You're doing gassers the whole time. Uh, Out. I want out of this situation is what he's thinking. You know what? I was going to rant a little bit about the Steelers because I've been reading a lot of uh, Instagram stories on – that's where we get our news, just, folks. Instagram stories. Well, just just you know, just people commenting. There, there's nothing, yeah. you know, there's nothing substantial. Just I'm reading comments on stories, and it's it's just borderline ridiculous. Like it's borderline ridiculous. They were 12 and four. They were 11 and 0 at one point last year. Sch- strength of schedule aside, COVID aside, 11 and 0 is 11 and 0 in the NFL. 
Did they get trounced in in the wild card? You know what? Cleveland came out and, and beat them beat them soundly. They were up twenty eight to zip. But a twelve and four season where you win your division is still a pretty good season. And when you look at Ben Roethlisberger and his his history, when you look at Mike Tomlin not never being worse than eight and eight. I mean, every year the last last six seven years, ten and six, ten and six, eleven and five, twelve and four. I mean, at some point, these guys need to get their 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 due credit. I mean, it's it's ridiculous what I read about the Steelers, and now they they basically field the exact same team that they had last year, but a better running back, um, the same receivers, one year older, Chase Claypool, one year older. A really great tight end who's looking to be a pretty solid guy from what I'm what we're uh, hearing from camp in terms of his hands and his speed and his his IQ. They roll out a defense that's deeper, that has now replacements. Melvin Ingram, uh, their secondary is still top notch, yet they're ranked like to finish under 500, like and and not make the play. Like what? What planet are you guys on? Has nobody been watching them the last decade? Under uh, under Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger, like what is going on, guys? So why the Steeler hate? Is it because the organization is one of the best in, in all all of pro sports and well respected? Do people just find that annoying? Because they are. Because when you look at the Rooneys, you can't find a damn thing wrong with them. People, they're good quality, solid uh, citizens of their community. I, I don't get it. Watch the Hall of Fame speeches and watch with the players. The first thing they mention are the Rooneys. And the community and the family, the the family that is built. I'm, I'm just, I'm about to lose it. I, I, I'm so frustrated with this, Brock. I got to tell you, I'm sick and tired of reading the nonsense. If they go four and twelve this year, Ben Roethlisberger rides off into the sunset, and he's the first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. But for them to be dumped on like this, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Can you please knock some sense into into some people for me? Can you please do that? Yeah. Oh, I'm upset. Just, just to be clear, you're not going to go on that Steeler rant. That's good. That's good. That's good to know. Um, you're upset. I get it. I don't have to say anything. You did your rant. Oh, you, man. you got your point across. Thank you. Uh, I, I did want to ask you one more thing. Uh, I won't, we're not going to get into the NBA. I'll, you know what we'll do is we'll bring on Dan Case. I want to bring Case and uh, Barbier back on and talk about uh, some of the some of the transactions. We can go into deep uh, deep talk about what the Lakers have done, basically changed their whole roster, and what the Raptors are doing. But l- I just want to ask you about the Kyle Lowry trade. Um, sad, upset that he, he's dealt to Miami of all teams. What do you think? I'm not sad that he got dealt to Miami. Uh, Miami has a lot to be excited about for from a Lowry standpoint. I think, well, they're added to my standpoint counter, but I think living in Miami versus living in Toronto over the wintertime, that's a huge plus. Oh, I'm happy for the player. I'm happy, I'm happy for, for the player. For, yeah, for him and the organization he's going to, I think it's fine. What I love about it is that you know, he's he's not a guy who's leaving Toronto and, and cutting ties. Like, he's going to Miami, but he knows he's his home is in Toronto. Mm-hmm. He's a Raptor for life no matter where he ends up going. You know, he's said that. Um, so you, you can't just not be happy for him. 
What we got in return? We got uh, what's the the goofball who's uh, saying that Gordon uh, Dragic? Yeah. Oh, Toronto wasn't my first choice. Hey, you weren't ours. <laughs> he's he's backpedaling huge. Hey, eh? he understands that his Toronto can seal his fate. So now he's backpedaling, and he's t- he told the GM Bobby Webster, "I want to clarify what I said in this and the other." Uh, the exciting player, the other player in return is Pre- Precious Achua. And they, he was on the Raptors radar last year in the draft. At, and if he was on the board at 22, they would have taken him over Malachi Flynn. He wasn't. Um, so exciting young player, you know, 6'9 with a 7'2 wingspan, big big kid. Uh, he serves a need, that's for sure, because the Raptors, obviously their need this year was to down low. But uh, just focusing on Lowry for a second, it's going to be tough. They play Miami a couple times a year. They end up usually seeing Miami in the playoffs. If Toronto turns it around, and they can very well be a playoff team this year, they, they're deep enough. They've got enough talent. If they put it all together, they could be a playoff team this year. I just, it would just, it would kill me inside to have them lose to Lowry and, uh, and Jimmy Butler. And let me tell you, what they've done in Miami is exceptional. Bringing him with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and some of the good pieces they have there. I mean, I'm happy for Lowry because he's going in a great situation. And, you know, you're playing in Miami, suddenly you feel like you're 22 again because of the heat and all that. Um, I'm just upset that, you know, Toronto didn't trade him at the deadline last year and get more in return. Like, there was better options, I, I you know. So, I, I, I don't know. Again, there must there's some inner workings that I'm sure we're not aware of with uh, Masai and, Bob, and Bobby Webster, the GM, and Lowry. I'm sure maybe he just wanted to stick it out, but... I don't know. I uh, I'm happy for him, the player. I thought Toronto could have gotten a, a little bit more back, but um, I am excited about their draft pick. We can talk about that some other time. But overall, I grade this trade uh, like a D. It could be a C plus if Achua turns out to be a, a rotation guy, which he should be. Goran Dragic, I could see him disappearing soon. I think the the, the Raptors will try and trade him, but uh, yeah, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I like I like Jimmy Butler. I like his story, so I like that Lowry's going with him. Like I feel, yeah, tough, tough story, tough. but they've also held their own with only one guy before. Uh, not that you know Lowry is any schmuck, but he's he's older, so he's mm-hmm. got a lot of miles on his body. Um, so hopefully, he does bring them what they need uh, to be competitive and sort of make uh, the run if that's what they're trying to do. But uh, ultimately, um, you know. It, like you said, should it have happened at the trade deadline? I would have thought so. I think if he was ever thinking of coming back or anything with Toronto, then you would have done it there <laughs> and and get some guys back. I'm just throwing it up there. So they were down 4-1. It was 4-2. I'm assuming it's 4-3 now. That's the Jays uh, hosting the Angels. So my cup just went off for those who aren't watching the video. Anyway, I'm happy for Lowry. Um, I'm excited to see what happens in the near future with the draft picks and stuff the Raptors have, but that's stuff we can talk about for another show. Uh, yes, before sir. we get out of here, what's up? I'm going to ask you one thing. It was a meme, I think, or whatever. Anyway, it was something I saw online. It was a situational play for uh, in the NFL. You're down five points. It's Randy Moss is your receiver versus Deion <laughs> Sanders. The safety okay. falls. There's no safety help. The ball's in the end zone. Last play of the game, who comes down with that ball? Between uh, Sanders and Moss? Yeah. Moss. Moss. Just just sheer. He's bigger. He's The receivers were bigger back then. Or, uh, back, well, after Sanders' uh, prime years, the receivers are much bigger. It's Moss. I, no offense to Dion, but. No, I agree. Uh, that was, yeah. 
uh, I think it was uh, Charlie who uh, posted it online, and he was like, Dion, no, no doubt about it. And I thought, no, nah, I have to disagree. I think it's Moss that comes down. Moss is my number one receiver on a list. If you were to say, what, who are your top receiver? He's my number one receiver. And he's also the guy, if you build an offense or you get one receiver to start an offense, it's him. You don't even mm-hmm. need a good quarterback. You're just going to get a guy who could throw 70 yards in the air, and this kid will go get it. And, and look, you impressive. talk about uh, measurables. When Sanders, you don't think about vertical. You're thinking about he's, he's quick as hell. He's got good hands. He's got uh, super uh, football IQ. But vertical isn't one of the things that come to mind with with uh, with Sanders. I think uh, when I think about vertical, when it comes to safeties or, or cornerbacks, I think of Rod Woodson. I think of other well, other guys, but not him. Ed um, Reed, so maybe, yeah. Ed Reed, yeah, like guys who can get up there. Palomalu. Not those think are of safeties. Him. You know, that's different from yeah, a but, corner standpoint. I can't think of any really super duper athletic corners. Charles Woodson was a is a great was a great corner converted to safety. Um, Daryl Revis. No, I, I, who? Daryl Revis. Again, you think the are you thinking vertical with these guys? I mean, again, ball hawks, good yeah. hands, strong. Richard Sherman uh, quick, used to be athletic until I saw R- you couldn't take Sherman a door down. Be, Richard Sherman might be a good a good fit there. He was, I mean, that one play with Crabtree. He he needed to get up there. But no, I'm gonna give Moss the vertical man. Moss Sherman can't hit though, freak. right? Sherman can't hit. No, he can't I do tried. Right yeah, now. I tried to take him. He uh, couldn't take a door down. Oh, anyway. Yeah, okay. On on that note, uh, we are going out to an oldie Two. but a goodie. Oh, oh, I like it. Yeah, it's nice. If I ruled the world. Thanks for tuning in. It was really nice to have uh, Pep back in the shop. And uh, let's get together in person moving forward. We've got to find a restaurant, a spot to do this from. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys, you guys next week. Any last words? Shout out to your mom. Love you, mom. Happy birthday. Feeling like life is over. These things strike <laughs> like it's over. The world's hot. My son got knocked. Evidently, it's elementary. They want us all gone eventually. Trooping out of state for a plate. Knowledge. If coke was cooked without the garbage, we'd all have the top dollars. Imagine everybody flashing, fashion, designer clothes, lacing your click up with diamond rolls. Your people's holding dough, no parole, no rubbers. Going raw. Imagine law with no undercovers. Just some thoughts for the mind. I take a glimpse into time. Watch the blimp read. The world is mine. If I Imagine that. I free all my sons. I love them, love them, baby. Black diamonds and bars. Could it be if you could be mine, we both shine? If I rule the world. Still living for today in these last days until where to be. Paradise life relaxing. Black, Latino, and Anglo Saxon. Amani exchange the range. Cash, lost tribe of bass. Free at last. Brand new whips to crash. Then we laugh in the illa path. The villa houses for the crew. How we do? Trees for breakfast. Dime sexes have been stretches. So many years of depression make me vision. The better living. Type of place to raise kids in. Opening eyes to the lies. History's told foul. But I'm as wise as the old owl. Plus the gold child. Seeing things like I was controlling. Click rolling. Tricking six digits on kicks and still. Holding trips to Paris, I civilized every savage. Give me one shot, I turn tripe life to lavish. Political prisoner, set free, stress free. No work release, purple M3s and jet skis. Feel the wind breeze in West Indies. I think Coretta Scott King, mayor of the cities, and reverse things to Willie's. It sound foul, but every girl I meet to go downtown. I'd open every cell in Attica, send them to Africa. Imagine that. I free all my.
story how the thugs live and worry. Duck down in car seats, heat's mandatory. Running from Jake, getting chased, hunger for papes. These are the breaks, many mistakes go down out of state. Wait, I had to let it marinate. We carry weight, trying to get laced. Flip the A stack to safe. Millionaire plan to keep the gap with the cock hammer. Making moves in Atlanta, back and forth scrambler. Cause you could have all the chips, be poor or rich. Still nobody want a nigga have a shit. If I rule the world and everything in it, sky's the limit. I push the Q45 infinite. It wouldn't be no such thing as jealousies or be felony. Strictly living longevity to the destiny I thought I'd never see, but reality struck. Better find out before your time's out. What the fuck? If I rule the world, imagine that. Imagine that. I free all my For today, in these last days and times If I rule the world